Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. My goal is to satiate your appetite. And this show is radio's answer to culinary conversation and inspiration. I'm all about the culture of food and living the best life. So we celebrate food and its ability to feed the soul every week. I talk trends and travel, health, the environment, wine, mixology, and more. I'm all about delicious dishes and putting out the best food fabulous flavor that you can. So whether you love to cook or love to eat, I like to say if you're one or both, we can definitely be friends, but you are bound to find something that you will love on this show. And I hope that you'll visit chefjamie.com for my features and recipes and cooking videos. And you can always take your cooking skills to the next level just by staying tuned. In fact, let me set the table for you because we have a full plate to kick off summer this weekend. Kim Kushner is here. She is the much-beloved kosher cookbook author with a new release that is garnering much attention. In the spirit of a kosher home, her warmth and her impeccable taste and her deep passion for all things food and family make for delectable dishes. So she is sharing her modern table and I can't wait. Also, David Leet is back, our resident genius guru on all things delicious. You know him from Leet's Culinaria, of course, LC Cooks. And of course, he is the much beloved blogger. And we're dishing on rhubarb. Is it a fruit? Is it a vegetable? What do you do with it? I make vodka. Oh, yes. We'll tell you all about it. And before the end of the hour, we are beefing it up with Jessica Formicola. She's sharing her best beef recipes for when you want to dig into red meat. But first, I am all about cooking with the season. And I'm sure you are too, right? The farmer's markets are brimming with beautiful produce as we embark on the warm weather season. And I think cold soups are wonderful. I do. They have the richness of a hearty bowl of goodness, but the lovely chill to cool you down all at the same time, right? And when the weather heats up, I'm always looking for something a little lighter to serve for lunch or dinner, whether it's simply too hot to turn on the oven or grilling fatigue has you yearning for something easier. That's later in the summer, of course. I do think that a few cold soup recipes in rotation is a huge help. You can dine al fresco in the backyard with a tasty gazpacho or a chilled cucumber soup as a vegetarian appetizer. Maybe it rounds out your weeknight meal. And so I've rounded up plenty of cold soup recipes that you can whip up at home for yourself and your family or your chosen companions all throughout the summer months. Now, you can take the best vegetables and fruits of summer, like asparagus and watermelon and avocado, 
to name a few, and turn them into soups that are weather appropriate. I think you can find inspiration in your refrigerator or your garden, and it's often the simplicity that creates incredible flavor. So let's say you have grilled asparagus left over from uh, the weekend barbecue, right? Blend it with some chicken stock and a boiled potato, season it generously with good salt and cracked pepper, blend it until smooth, store it in a mason jar in the fridge, and when it's super chilled, pour it into shot glasses or martini glasses garnished with some lovely toasted brioche croutons, and you have a really impressive starter or even hors d'oeuvre, a tray of shot glasses of grilled asparagus soup. Oh, yes. Now, here are my best recipes. Are you ready? I think cucumbers are one of the most refreshing vegetables. They are a really good source of hydration. Uh, They're one of the most prolific growers in the garden. You might even have your own crop. I hope you do. I'm coming to your house. And you can always get them in the grocery store, easily accessible. So what do you do? Well, you don't have to stand over the stove or heat up the oven, right? Uh, This is a great way to start, let's say, a summer's day lunch, Pair it with a salad and warm bread and you have dinner. And your food processor or your blender, better yet, does all the work. Now, you know how I feel about blenders, right? They're workhorses. And I believe that great cooks utilize their appliances. So when it comes to these cold, cold soup recipes or anything you are blending for that matter, please let the appliance do the dirty work. Run it longer than you think. Get that beautiful viscosity, the mouthfeel, because that's what it's all about. So you take up a cucumber of any sort, could be an English, a burpless, a seedless, whatever you call it, or a traditional. I peel a couple of those big cucumbers, and then I cut them in half and scrape the seeds. And I combine those chopped cucumbers with tangy buttermilk and sour cream or Greek yogurt if you want to go lean some fresh mint, maybe some tarragon, lemon zest, salt, and pepper in the blender, and chill. And when you're ready to serve, I like to garnish with anything from crispy garbanzos to those toasted brioche croutons I mentioned. Maybe a grilled shrimp or uh, a crab claw goes on top. Oh, the opportunities are endless. And that cucumber buttermilk soup will make you a culinary hero, no doubt. Now, you can also blend cucumber and melon for a really beautiful combination. If you want to make a a richer base, add creme fraiche. Of course, traditionally French sour cream. And consider that you can almost add or mix flavors, fruits and vegetables often, to combine to make a really beautiful dichotomy of sweet and savory. Now, there is the traditional savory soup, of course, a vichyssoise, the soup that has stood the test of time. It's creamy and it's rich and it's delicious and it's always a crowd pleaser and it's super budget friendly. You see, you take... uh, leftover potatoes, or you can use uh, fresh russets that you've peeled and diced, and you saute onion or leek with a little bit of unsalted butter uh, in a big pot. You add the potatoes, water, and or chicken broth, although uh, Emeril Lagasse taught me back in the day when I had the privilege of training in his kitchens that water didn't have any flavor. 
that's an epiphany. So uh, I tend to go to chicken broth or vegetable stock in this instance. And you let it all cook down until you have this really wonderful pureed combination from the blender or the food processor of a smooth and creamy potato soup. Throw in a splash of half and half, garnish with chopped chives. Oh, so good. And then that dessert soup that I mentioned, it's good with just about any melon or papaya with a blend of mango, maybe blend in some pineapple juice, a squeeze of lime, garnish with some diced fruit, and then throw in that scoop of sorbet and you have a summer dessert soup ready to go. And if you want to spruce it up, by the way, you can throw in a shot or two of vodka or tequila. Oh, yes. If you would like my cold, cold soup recipes delivered to your inbox, please email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. You can also search for more inspiration at chefjamie.com. All right, it's time for food news this week. Here is some news you can use and something that has me very, very worried. All right, we have seen, no doubt, the challenge of shortages in the last couple of years. But as we open back up, uh, this is rather disconcerting. Munching on buttery popcorn at the movie theater, definitely an indulgent pleasure. But it may become a rare treat. There are farmers switching to other crops that are more productive and require less expensive fertilizer for the traditional popcorn, so it's becoming more expensive to produce. And on top of it, it is said that popcorn tubs are getting harder to find thanks to a shortage of the butter-resistant film that coats the inside. So some theaters are switching. Because I was just about to go back to the movies and see the new Top Gun, which made record-breaking sales last weekend over Memorial Day. Just FYI, I get first dibs on popcorn. Okay. That's some food news you can use. Talk amongst yourselves. Coming up right after the break, you should grab a snack and come on back. Kim Kushner is here. Her well-honed, beautiful recipes, her ideas for on-trend hosting, her uh, delicious resources, all much acclaimed. She is sharing her new cookbook release, The Modern Table, Kosher Recipes for Everyday Gatherings, And you don't want to miss the delightful Kim Kushner in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. and wine and it's divine. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Kim Kushner's impeccable taste, her deep passion for all things food and family, her absolutely extraordinary design and lifestyle talent has never been seen before in a kosher cookbook until her first release, of course. And this is her fourth most beautiful 
example of how to live a kosher life. The new cookbook release, the fourth uh, bestseller, in fact, from Kim Kushner is entitled The Modern Table, Kosher Recipes for Everyday Gatherings, and it is beautiful. It is all about the spirit of a kosher home, but it's for everyone. And please don't confuse kosher cuisine with Jewish cuisine, that which we love, like matzo ball soup and latkes. This is a dietary restriction, like vegan or gluten-free, and this collection of recipes, though, will grace every table, Mediterranean-style, passionate, beautiful plates that bring people together. It is these recipes that evoked the memories for Kim Kushner, modern expressions of her Moroccan and Ashkenazi Canadian heritage and cultural identity. I would like to call her uh, the kosher Martha Stewart, because this is truly one of the most beautiful books you will ever see. And the recipes are inspiring. Please meet Kim Kushner, the very talented chef and cookbook author who is sharing more than 75 simple and delicious recipes to make every get together delicious and social. And I'm so glad to share this really very special piece of art. Uh, congratulations to you, Kim, and welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, well, well deserved. Um, if you would, talk about your uh, kosher lifestyle, please, because if, if I read through the pages of this book, as I have front to back, uh, this just screams to me extraordinary food. I don't think of it from a kosher standpoint. Well, thank you for saying that. And that's sort of the way that I have envisioned kosher. Hmm. I have always followed a kosher diet. I grew up in a kosher home, and my parents cooked kosher. And we always just adhered to those kosher dietary restrictions and laws. But even with that being said, my mom is born in Morocco and raised in Israel, and she always cooked a very Mediterranean, hmm. beautiful menu beautiful variety of foods and food was a huge part of our lives and we always ate really really well and it was food that was beautiful and bright and delicious and just happened to be kosher Hmm. and so that is my approach when it comes to cooking and when it comes to my cookbooks as well and it is so beautifully delivered on the pages of this book. I'll tell you, I can't wait to make every one of your recipes, but the techniques and the ideas behind some of the recipes as well, I found um, very educational and very motivational. And so I've um, rabbit-eared almost every page, um, and and (laughs) I would love to dish with you. Um, You make a vegetable soup with shaved Parmesan that seems so of the season, And this concept of a whole onion I found fascinating. Will you share? Sure. So actually, this is a trick that uh, my cousin who lives in Australia shared with me, that whenever making a soup or a broth to place a whole yellow onion unpeeled into the base of the pot. Um, And by unpeeling it, it really releases a golden, beautiful color. And I do this now with all of my soups and stocks and broths. And it's mm. just a great, even if you want to make a quick um, bouillon or a quick broth, I just throw a whole golden yellow onion in there and it releases a great color and flavor as well. So smart. 
because you get the beauty of the skins like we know from a stock. Like when you roast bones and onion for a stock, you get that richness. I can imagine that it doesn't impart a particularly oniony flavor, but rather a round sort of beautiful subtlety to it. And I, I can't wait to try that. Uh, vegetable yeah. soup with shaved Parmesan is on my next menu. I'm also inspired by the season. The tomatoes are starting to uh, really turn beautifully red here where I live in Southern California and I know spoiled, um, but your tomato <laughs> carpaccio, um, what a beautiful starter. Yes. Um, I try to think about cooking using ingredients that I often have on hand and mm-hmm. that most households would have on hand. And also when I'm cooking, I, 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 I hate when things go to waste. So I'm mm-hmm. always looking of ways for ways to use what I have. And that might not be in as, perfect shape as I'd want it to be. So a really soft tomato would work really well in this dish. And I know we all have, you know, one of those. (laughs) Some of those somewhere, somewhere, right? (laughs) Definitely so. And just the simplicity of a balsamic glaze. There is a beautiful simplicity to your food. Uh, You're a a very busy mom of four and you speak about, you know, it would be lovely to have family dinner all together gathered every night, but it's almost impossible. Um, And so the recipes that you inspire us with are many of them really a quick cook. Like I was very taken with your 15 minute herb crumbed fish. This should be in every great cook's repertoire. Right. Well, I, I think that when you start with really good, fresh, seasonal ingredients, you don't need to do too much to them. And especially when it comes to fish, fish is one of the quickest dinners and the mm. easiest to prepare yes. in my mind because, you know, the cooking time is short. You do it just before serving and you don't need to do much if you're starting with great, fresh fish. Mm. Leave us with this. An Israeli-style cheesecake might be, I, I might say it's my favorite of any cheesecake, very unique and different than a traditional American or New York style cheesecake, right? Uh, This is a showstopper. Yes. It is a showstopper. It is no bake. So you don't have to worry about, you know, um, cooking it with a bain-marie or a water bath under where traditional cheesecakes, American style are cooked. It's simple. It's pretty much no fail. It is delicious. Delicious. And it is a crowd favorite. Yeah. Oh, f- fantastic. I think it will be the first recipe I make from the book. Um, and I will, I will proudly tell you that. I'll start with dessert because life is uncertain, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I love that. <laughs> congratulations to you. Um, once again, uh, an, an absolute beautiful example of the life that you lead and the food that you create. Um, and wonderful lessons and uh, beautiful recipes shared in this book. It is the warmth and impeccable taste and the passion for food and family that is so much respected about Kim Kushner. The new cookbook entitled The Modern Table is kosher cuisine in a fresh contemporary light. And whether it's a midweek dinner, if you keep kosher or otherwise, or a full-on Shabbat feast, or just a gathering of friends and family, this is the way to make it special. An extraordinary book that you must see. It's entitled The Modern Table, Kosher Recipes for Everyday Gatherings. You can follow Kim as well on social at Kim Kushner Cuisine. And uh, you will certainly see the stunning 
food that she creates. Kim, it's a pleasure to have you on the radio. Thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, grab a snack. Come on back. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. is life create and savor yours welcome back chef jamie gwen in your radio this is an homage to rhubarb one of the few spring splendors that is still truly seasonal and here's a fun fact the usda actually classifies rhubarb as a fruit but it's really a vegetable but no matter what you call it or uh, how much you love it Uh, This is the time to savor it. And we're savoring that short season and sharing inspiration for what is the much beloved sour sensation. Oh, but it's so good. David Leet is a three-time James Beard award-winning food writer and the founder of LeetsCulinaria.com, where he shares hot food and dry wit. He's also the author of The New Portuguese Table and his memoir entitled Notes on a Banana. I'm also so proud to call him my friend. David is an expert on many things. His blog has been much adored for its deliciousness since 1999. And I am delighted to say every month that he is a culinary contributor to this show. And so he's back with delicious brilliance and here to dish on rhubarb. You are a rhubarb fan, my friend. I think any of us deeply rooted in food just savor the fact that when you can't get it uh, it, it becomes a sheer memory, right? And and so we appreciate it. <laughs> it reminds me also that same short seasonality uh, as the sour uh, sour cherries that you get in June. Oh yes, which are around for like at least where we live for like two weeks. Right. So with rhubarb, it's a longer season for us, but it's one of those things that you turn to when that as soon as it starts getting warmer out. Yes, I turn to rhubarb. Pies start happening. All yeah. these dishes start to happen. All the all the good stuff. Uh, I yeah. love. I love. You mentioned sour cherries. Now my my mouth is salivating. Uh, do you <laughs> do you can them? I I'll put them. I'll make a syrup and put them in a jar and then put them over ice cream or, uh, I mean the, the multitude of things you can do. But let's just go back for a second. What do you do during the two weeks of sour cherries? Because we don't get that many up here, and everyone just pounces on them, yes. I tend to, when I can get them, and it's not every year, I just make a sour cherry pie. Mm. That, to me, is the height of cherry, because making yeah. it with a sweet cherry, it's, it's just not the same thing. No. The sour cherry pie is just exquisite. Mm. So that's what I'll go to, is a simple, plain uh, sour cherry pie. Well, I can't wait for that invitation. With that said, uh, the rhubarb season is coming to a close soon, and we love the puckery sourness, and there are wonderful ways to savor it. So at lccooks.com, you have this beautiful piece that I was really thrilled you would share here on the radio about how to buy and store and freeze rhubarb so that we can have it on hand throughout the summer, at least as long as it will last. The great thing about rhubarb is that it's a very hearty vegetable. Oh, yes. As, it is. But as you know, a vegetable, not a fruit. And the most important thing people need to realize is what you want to do when you get them is 
you want to get as much as you possibly can. <laughs> and then to store them, you can keep them and you can cut them up or just keep them whole in the refrigerator for a week or so because they really can last. But if you want to store them in the freezer, that's what I do when I get a big batch of rhubarb is you want to make sure that you wash and dry the stalks. You don't want any kind of moisture on the outside because it will freeze and that sort of will mess up the outside. And then you cut them into one-inch pieces and you scatter them on a parchment-lined baking sheet and you freeze them. That way you're individually freezing each piece. Right. That's what we talk about IQF. That's what I do with berries at the height of the season too. And then once it's all frozen, they don't stick together and you throw them in a zipper bag, right? Exactly. A zipper bag. Or if you happen to have a vacuum sealer, which Ah, we do, we vacuum seal them, Smart. put them in, and then you can bake bake with them or cook with them the entire season or throughout all of the year if you have enough. Yes, but it never lasts that long because by the time you make your strawberry rhubarb pie or mm-hmm. I make a, a rhubarb syrup that I think, by mm-hmm. the way, makes the best cocktail ever with vodka yes. and ginger. Oh, yes. So good. Um, yes. You get an, a little extra time on it. I love the idea of freezing it, though. I think that's so smart. Yeah, it is. And, you know, one of the reasons why we don't always get a lot each year is because a lot of times I'll make a rhubarb vodka i'll make a rhubarb vodka oh. hard to say oh you infu- <laughs> you infuse the rhubarb you exactly you infuse that vodka with the rhubarb and it's just it turns this beautiful shade of pink yes. and you know you want to use it in cocktails mm. anywhere you use vodka but it just gives it that soury kind of marvelous addition and there's some sugar in it too so therefore it's kind of like a limoncello but with rhubarb Oh, I love yeah, that. See, lovely. my syrup is a cheat, but if we compounded your rhubarb-infused vodka and my rhubarb syrup, we'd have a rhubarb cocktail that is over the top. Oh, and I... would f- be marvelous. Oh, wouldn't it? I float a piece of candied ginger in it, David. Oh, oh which is so good to just gnaw on. That's All incredible. right. Rhubarb vodka on the menu. I love that you say wherever you use vodka. I use vodka everywhere I can think of. Yes. <laughs> is that yes. ro- is Me that too. wrong? Um, let's talk about no. let's talk about the best part, and that is eating it. There are lots of wonderful applications. So yes, we've talked yeah. about it in a cocktail a couple of different ways. There is the mm-hmm. quintessential pie. It's usually mm-hmm. paired with another fruit, and usually a red fruit. Uh, yes. Testament to your recipes at Elsie Cooks. There are so many beautiful pie inspired recipes. I saw the brown sugar rhubarb pie that's that looks decadent that is marvelous yes it, it, there's an extra layer of, of caramelity if that's even a word it works yes. it's there's this real wonderful caramel mm. flavor to it because of the brown sugar and a slight molasses flavor so it just adds a different layer or another layer to the pie yeah i love that and then something red um, and you make rhubarb jam right i do i do and we have a very very easy rhubarb jam recipe on the site Really, what you're doing is just taking it and you're cooking it down, Mm -hmm. and you don't even have to can it. So it's a refrigerator jam. And once it just breaks down enough, you have sugar, of course, and you have some lemon juice in there because of the pectin and lemon zest. And then it cooks down, and Mm -hmm. then you just let it cool in the jars, put it in the refrigerator, and you can do anything with it. You can fill little tart shells, which is quite lovely. You also can spread it on toast. You can spread it on on anything. A lot of times what's very lovely is to take some uh, bread and then put like brie cheese and a little bit of this <gasps> on top. Yes. Quite lovely. Oh, I love that, like a compote. Oh, for sure. Exactly. 
So taking a step back, rhubarb always needs to be cooked. And I think to many great cooks, it's the copious amounts of sugar that you need to Mm -hmm. add that is often off-putting. But it is a truly sour vegetable, and it it does need the sugar to offset it. Uh, But if you think about it, you're not sitting down to a whole pot of it. I wonder, do you always put it on top of the stove? Because um, I have come to roasting it in the Mm -hmm. oven rather than simmering it on top of the stove. Um, and I actually think it works I've never quite well. It. Do you make jam by roasting it? Yeah, so in a Dutch oven with what you would, you know, usually cook it with, uh, sugar, vanilla paste, all that good stuff. I happen to right. like the what I call the walk-away method, right? No open flame, pot's not on top of the stove. And yes, you could make the jam the same way, um, but it, it really does cook down efficiently. Wow, that is wonderful. It's nice. We, I we sh- try that. Yeah, we should it. work on a recipe together that way. David, congratulations. Yeah. Um, you have a... <laughs> You have a hit podcast, and uh-huh. I am so delighted that we will have the tremendous opportunity to continue to learn from you, because you are just about to release season three, are you not? Yes, we are. Sometime, so fabulous. Actually, this month we're releasing season three, Love as it. you said, and the great thing is uh, we have a new co-host. My co-host is Amy Traverso, mm-hmm. who is the senior food editor of Yankee Man. Yeah, very talented. Very. And the co-host of the PBS show, Weekends with Yankee. Yeah. So she's taking time out of her busy schedule Love to it. work with me on the podcast. And it is so super. It's so much fun talking, mm-hmm. eating together, dishing. And yes. so it's a really fun very dynamic show. Yeah, it really is. And I'll tell you, I love listening. I think there's always something to learn as well. I've spent a lot of years on the radio and it is a delight for me to be able to sit back and listen to you dish. So um, I know that the podcast will continue to be um, extraordinarily successful and I'm so thrilled that you're loving it. So now my listeners have two things to listen to. Uh, David, mm-hmm. where can they go directly to find the podcast? If they go to any of their favorite platforms, yes. we're there. Because we we already have 20 episodes in the can with my prior co-host. Yes. So they can go there and they can start doing it. Or if they go to lccooks.com, mm-hmm. archives there too, and every new episode will be added there also. And they can sign up for my newsletter and be notified. Fabulous. I get that newsletter. I have really good taste. I love talking food with you, my friend. So thank you for coming back, as always. And um, please, let's plan for icebox cakes and celebrate summer. That'd be terrific. Okay. I'd love that. Good. Me too. You can find David Leet's daily dish of deliciousness at lccooks.com. And you should follow on social at David Leet, L-E-I-T-E. Uh, Please stay tuned for more inspiration from David in your radio next month. All right, now i got to jump on my rhubarb collection. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Grab a snack. Come on back. There's lots more fabulous food right after this.
Gain culinary intelligence right here and right now. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you're a beef lover, well, then this conversation is for you because this is a deliciously meaty cookbook. In Jessica Formicola's new collection of recipes, a cookbook entitled Beef It Up, she offers tasty ways to serve up protein-rich beef meals without a lot of fuss. I love her beef suppers, where it's all in one pot or pan or bowl. And then her takes on the classics, like sheep pan steak fajitas and a 20-minute Mongolian-style beef. You know Jessica Formicola, of course, as the creator of Savory Experiments, the trusted food and much-beloved lifestyle blog. She contributes to Parade Magazine, lots more illustrious places, And she eats a lot of beef near Baltimore, Maryland, where she lives. And I welcome you, Jessica. Glad to have you. And congratulations on the cookbook. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. (laughs) Yes, of course. Okay, let's beef it up. I love the culinary knowledge, the education that you share at the start of the book. You really pack a punch when it comes to beef knowledge. And so I'd love to start there. Uh, A quick review. My listeners know their beef cuts, of course. But I think there's always something new to learn. Um, Talk about, if you would, um, the grades of beef first and what to look for, what's best. Well, the grades of beef that you're going to see the most on the shelf are prime, choice, and select. Prime being the most exquisite. Really marbled well. It has almost like little snowflakes, little ribbons of fat throughout it. And those striations are going to make it super juicy, super tender because they mm. melt into the meat while you are cooking. Yummy. Choice is coming after that, a little bit less a little bit less fat, but it, it shouldn't be discounted. I think that if you know what you're doing and you know how to cook a cut, you can make choice or even select really, really stand out and be amazing in the kitchen. I have to agree with you. I, I think the preparation and the method is so much a part, an equal part of the finished product, you could call it. And I very much believe in quality and buy the best that you can afford. But never to discount the larger cuts or the long, slow braise that makes for the best pulled beef, right? And and I love how you explain how much fat Uh, brings flavor. Um, You also talk about the different cuts of meat. Now, I am a skirt steak raised kind of girl. My mother always bought skirt steak when she could get her hands on it um, and flank. Um, And then, you know, uh, filet was for special occasions or when people came over for dinner. We've come a long way. I mean, you can buy a a ribeye cut three, four, five ways from a butcher today. But those pieces on the cow, they all remain the same. Everybody loves a brisket. And, and, you know, who who doesn't love um, the, the smaller cuts, the bigger cuts and everything in between? And one of the unique things about the book is for people that aren't as familiar with beef cuts, a lot of times when they see a recipe and they can't find the specific cut that they're looking for, that recipe references, mm-hmm. they look for something that's similar in size and shape, but don't fully understand that just because it looks similar in size and shape, it needs to be cooked the same. So we have this excellent um, grid of beef cuts to mystify that can help the consumer understand what 
swaps can be used Smart. because even flanks, you know, flank steak and skirt steak, two very different. Sometimes the flank is thinner than others. I mean, I've seen different flank steaks in a million different sizes and shapes, and it's not always the exact same. But also geographically speaking, sometimes these cuts have different names depending yes. on where you are. And for some people, that can be confusing. Yeah. So it's really a gem, and I love hmm. to teach people along the way. And it's a useful tool for anybody using any beef recipe, mine or yours or anybody else's. Yes, and that's that culinary knowledge that you know I'm trying to ever increase. All of us are. It makes you, a, I think, a more confident cook in the kitchen. Um, talk about the myth of room temperature meat, please, and your opinion on it. I have always been an advocate of taking cheese out of the refrigerator uh, before you're going to slice it, uh, taking my steak out so that it cooks evenly in the cast iron pan uh, long before uh, I start dinner. Uh, but you have some really interesting and I think very valuable opinions on the temperature of meat. Yeah, so I, I fully agree with you about cheese. Um, I mm-hmm. love to take the chill off of cheese, but cheese is generally a much smaller piece and a different texture and consistency. So it can come up to temperature a little bit faster, whereas depending on your cut of meat, you know, if you just have like a New York strip steak, you can probably take it out, but 30 minutes, which is what a lot of recipes are going to tell you to do, doesn't really make that much of a difference in the temperature of the beef. And what can potentially happen is that the outside becomes much more room temperature and the inside still stays fairly cold. Now, for a person like me that loves uh, my steak rare, that doesn't bother me one bit. It actually can help me achieve my goal. But if you're looking at a larger porterhouse or ribeye or something like that, even two hours or three hours isn't going to take it up to room temperature the way some recipes will tell you to. And after it's been out for that long, it can potentially be unsafe. It is all in Beef It Up, the new cookbook release from Jessica Formicola. You know her from savoryexperiments.com. Go to the website, please. You'll find everything you need to get your hands on this book and follow on social at Savory Experiments for lots more daily deliciousness. This is really a a beautiful book. You should be very proud. Uh, And I'm thrilled to be able to share it. Yes, of course. Thank you for sharing your passion, Jessica. Appreciate it very much. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of inspiring, delicious conversation. At least I hope you thought so. I hope you'll tune in every week to join me and grand guests and lots of chef's tips that will make your dishes come alive with flavor. But before you go, let me leave you with my last bite, I call it, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for this week. What's your favorite way to eat oatmeal? I like mine with chocolate. That's right. My sweet tooth led the way to this decadent recipe. I call it chocolate banana oatmeal. And it combines quick cook oats with milk, an overripe banana, some cocoa powder, a little bit of vanilla, and a pinch of salt. And in less than seven minutes, you have chocolate decadence in the form of breakfast. That's not a bad way to start the day, don't you think? I'll post my chocolate banana oatmeal on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where I hope you'll become a friend and a fan, at Chef Jamie Gwen. Once again, on social, at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I will meet you here next weekend when there is lots more fabulous food promised in your radio. I thank you again for listening. 
I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Bye.